Welcome to Camp Arawak, the premier summer camp for douchebag jocks and preppy bitches. This summer, there's a killer on the loose, and they're targeting assholes of all shapes and sizes. The killings just happen to coincide with the arrival of shy teenager Angela Baker and her protective brother Ricky. Are the two connected? Who is slaying people at Camp Arawak? All this and more in the 1983 slasher cult classic, Sleepaway Camp. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Josh Allred. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the 140th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. Today's feature is Sleepaway Camp, a slasher film I liked a lot more than I expected to. Uh, I had always thought this was kind of a cheap knockoff of Friday the 13th. Boy, was I wrong. This is, in my opinion, leagues better. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to talking to this film that has really been embraced by multiple communities over the years and uh, is kind of a big film to a lot of people. So I, I hope we do it justice. Yeah, I, I threw it out there only because I knew it was one of my favorite um, slashers and it's one of my favorite horror movies. And when I looked on the calendar when it was happening, I was like, oh, totally by accident, but I will totally own up to it as being a really serendipitous moment is that this is Pride Month. Yeah. So, you know, I have, I have a cousin that's gay. I have a transgender cousin. Um, so I, I inadvertently really love a lot of queer horror movies. Like one of the first ones I ever saw, and, you know, it was never presented that way, but my mom loved it. It was Rocky Horror Picture Show. And something about it something about tim tim curry and fucking lingerie and being sassy on screen like it just it did something to me i, I could, and i could never shake it like that i've i've done um i've done uh, sweet transvestite uh at karaoke <laughs> so imagine me with a giant pink mohawk <laughs> and singing about being a trans transsexual from fucking transylvania like yeah, that's movies like that, like movies that can have fun with themselves and not be afraid to be what they are really are very special to me because they don't try and hide anything. They're very proud of what they are. And I mean, for this being a month where a lot of the, uh, the queer community is, you know, for lack of a better phrase, coming out and having parades and being and sharing their stories and things like that. This is, this is a movie that has been embraced by the queer community for both good and bad reasons. Um, it's, it's a very divisive um, film. There's been some, there's been some you know, negativity about it. And there are parts of it that haven't aged well. I, I will be the first one to say that. However, it's movie also packs a punch and it's, it's a film that's, even though most people that maybe have not seen it know the ending, like you re uh, wrote in your review, it still gets you. So this, this movie has done something if it's still being talked about over 30 years later. Yeah, I agree. The 80s was an oddball time for especially horror film because I think it was really kind of a period of anything goes where they were just kind of doing whatever they felt was, you know, would work for a movie. 
and you get these gems like Sleepaway Camp that stand out because there weren't transgender representation has been very sporadic in film and it's not always you know most of the time it's like the crazy villain who is only crazy because they're transgendered and that sucks i feel like sleepaway camp though is a little bit more layered than that uh but we'll get into it uh before that though let's take a look at a quick toxic avenger update on the rewind So obviously the rebooting Toxic Avenger, there's been various, you know, bits of news over the past few months. Most recently, Elijah Wood has been cast as the villain. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, so I'm always hesitant about things like this and I've been very vocal about how I feel about it and I'm just not sure. I'm also going to, shocker, reserve my judgment for after I've seen it. However, it's not... It's not easy to not get excited when you see somebody like Elijah Wood who has made it very known that he loves genre movies. He loves cult films. And I think the fact that he is coming to this picture means that there's, I, I really hope they don't fuck this up. <laughs> I'll put it like that. But I mean, Elijah Wood, Peter Dinklage, they, something good is going to come out of this. I, I sincerely hope so. Yeah, I think, you know, Elijah Wood's involvement does speak that, like, it, you know, it's, it proves that this is going to be taken care of because he, I think he's a big fan of the original movie. I know he's been following the news and, like, posting it and being like, oh, my God, they're doing Toxic Avenger, and now he's like, I'm in it. So I think that this is going to be worth checking out. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's let's do it. <laughs> Here's hoping. Uh, well, that was quick, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> Sleepaway Camp was written and directed by Robert Hiltzik, who has only ever worked on this franchise. The only things he's ever done are the Sleepaway Camp films. Uh, interesting. You don't see that a lot. Uh, horror filmmakers who only do that movie. Uh, why do you think he hasn't really branched out? Um, I don't really know. Like I, I didn't really follow too much because he, he really, he directed this. And then for the second and third one, it was written by the same person and directed by the same person, but Hiltzman, I think was only tangentially involved if at all. And then I think he came back for return to sleepaway camp and like Felissa Rose came back for that. So it was, it's a little, not too sure. I just know that when he, when he wanted to make this or wanted to make a movie, he was still like a in his early twenties, like a, a student at NYU or something like that, and he knew that he could make a horror movie, and um, he was kind of plotting out what he wanted to do. He knew that um, he wanted to do a summer camp movie. He knew he wanted to use kids instead of people in their twenties pretending to be kids. <laughs> And which was very much of the time then. And he, he had in mind a camp that he went to. And I think a lot of the kids, when they're, they've done like these retrospectives on it, they've, they've said like, yeah, like I went to summer camp. Like I, it, this was, this was, it brought back a lot of memories and like even, even so much like how the kids acted. And that was, 
that was something that a lot of people that watched this when they were around that age, they made that remark. It was like, you know, these kids were talking like kids did when they're at summer camp, when they're away from mom and dad, they're going to be dropping F-bombs and be talking about dicks and titties and just being gross ass teenagers all horned up and on the loose. So that's, it's one of the more endearing qualities this movie has is the fact that it did have kids and it took a lot of risks, a lot of risks. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to make this movie today because there'd be so many people that would bitch and moan about something. Their feelings got hurt. It's too hot. I'm, I can't believe I'm working this, like just complaining. Like these kids were out to have fun and it shows um, the Karen Fields, I think it was her name. She played Judy. Um, she loved being an asshole in this movie. Like she loved it. Cause she's just like, I could just be as mean as I wanted to and not get in trouble. It was so much fun. And that shows that shows like Judy is like the worst character in this, like the worst. She's such a bitch. And you're, you're happy at that point when she finally gets it. So I, I really feel like you, this is, this was somebody taking a swing and hitting a home run first time up. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I was surprised at how like critically successful this was, how financially successful this was. And I think a lot of it is, you know, casting kids, letting them be kids. It makes it realistic. It makes it feel like a real summer camp movie. You know, it's like I said, it's not just 20 year olds pretending to be 15 year olds. You've, you, you get sucked in because you're like, yeah, I remember this. Like, I remember, you know, being 13 and just thinking about nothing but, you know, tits and baseball. <laughs> we all remember that. And yeah, yeah, I liked it. I, I liked it because, you know, it, it's a little nostalgic. I mean, I didn't grow up in the 80s, but, you know, I, I did grow up. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I, was, I was born the year this movie came out. So I've like part of my childhood was in the eighties, but the bulk of it was in the nineties. Um, I still was of that generation where it was like, your parents told you go outside. Don't come back until it's dark. I don't want you get, I don't want, I don't want to see you at home, get your ass outside. Um, you know, so you have kids left to their devices and latchkey and, and things like that, you know, kind of learning how to fend for yourself. So you grew up a lot faster and, for good and bad reasons. Um, yeah, I, I always, I always feel like very, uh, yeah, definitely very nostalgic watching this movie at certain times. Cause you know, I didn't go to summer camp where somebody was killing everybody off and gr increasingly gruesome ways. But, you know, I definitely did have these brushes with adults that you're just like, you're scared for your life and you don't know how it's going to end, but then you make it and you're like, Oh, that's a rush. So, yeah. Oh, um, Felissa Rose plays Angela, uh, becoming a massive scream queen in the process. She has 147 acting credits to her name, most of them horror movies, with a ton of stuff currently in production. I was surprised. Like, I've never seen that many projects in production for one IMDb page. It was crazy. Uh, and she's great in this. Uh, kind of, you know, a shy, timid girl with a, with a secret. Like, well done. Yeah, she actually, so her mom really got her into it. Um, she was the exact opposite uh, personality-wise when she wasn't like on screen. She was very much like a very girly girl. She even had a crush on um, 
on uh, her brother, uh, Jonathan Tiersten. Like mm-hmm. they had a crush on each other while they were making the movie. Yeah. Which I mean, sounds kind of weird when, when, when you say it like that, but you know, again, kids being kids. So totally, uh, totally see that. So I don't know how much you know about her career afterwards, but she has also gotten into producing and she actually uh, was a producer on the Slayer music video, uh, Repentless, uh. the one that takes place in the prison. <laughs> Check that shit out. And you're like, yeah, I could see how Angela from Sleepaway Camp would be a producer on this music video. <laughs> it's fucking gnarly. There's some really good shit in there. Sweet. Yeah, I love that she's she awesome. would later, you know, come back to the franchise uh, as an adult. I want to check all of these out. I feel like I'd enjoy the sequels. Oh, man, it's it's such a good time. I actually, so I saw Sleepaway Camp 3 before I saw the other ones. Um, and it was, oddly enough, it was at a sleepover with, uh, with a friend. So it was like me, this kid that was about my age and his older sister. And their dad was watching us, took us to the video store. And he was like, you know, get whatever you want. He didn't care. You know, then they threw up, I think it was like, I think they got a nightmare on Elm street, but then they got Sleepaway camp three and dad like got it for us, got us some pizza and basically just left us to our devices. Like he didn't, you know, he's like, if you guys want anything, go get it. You know, like the kids know where everything is. I'm going to be in my room. Don't be too loud. Those were the rules. That was it. <laughs> and I remember, I remember like, that's one of my, so aside from Freddy Krueger cracking that chick's arms in Nightmare 4 and turning her into a cockroach, this movie, Sleepaway Camp 3, was another early uh, horror movie memory for me. And this, that, that movie has a great beginning where Angela runs over this chick with a fucking garbage truck. That's all I'll say. Um, so that was like one of my earliest memories of watching. I was like, what the shit? Like, what am I watching? Um, so yeah, no, these movies are definitely best enjoyed with a bunch of friends. Um, I even made a remark, I think in one of the reviews I wrote, I think it was either two or three. Um, I'm going to have to start making like a party movie list and just any movie I've ever described as a party movie. I just need to put it, it needs to be on the site as a party movie. And that way, if folks are coming to the site, they're like, damn, what, what do I watch with friends? It was like, just go here. And you'll have a good list of movies to watch with your friends that you're going to be laughing, probably upset because why are you making me watch this? And just generally having these what the fuck reactions. So, yeah. It's I good remember, stuff. The only thing I knew about Sleepaway Camp uh, prior to finally watching it, I remember um, I talked about Suncoast Video in one of these past podcasts. I don't remember which one, but it was a video store in my local mall when I was a kid. I would go to and just kind of peruse movies were too expensive there. So I never actually got anything, but I like to look. And I remember looking in the horror section and I saw the cover for, I think sleepaway camp two, where the Angela has like Jason's hockey mask and Freddie's glove in her backpack. And a chainsaw. And a chainsaw. I remember thinking like, what is this? This has got to be like the ultimate horror movie ever. Cause look, it's got everything. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, no, it never left, and now I'm thinking like it's it's time I should I should finally watch that. <laughs> yeah, no, that that for me is is the best one. Cool, it's the best one. Um, it it kind of it kind of shies away from a lot of the whole like Angela's really a boy 
whole thing. It, it, it distances itself from that controversy and just throws you headfirst into Angela is really, really serious about being a good camp counselor. And she will kill anybody who she deems a bad camper. <laughs> so damn. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not only that, not only that, it's very, uh, it's very self-aware. It very much knows the kind of movie it is. And Angela's got some really snappy one-liners that'll put, you know, make Freddy Krueger blush. Um, and it also like pokes fun at, at all of the other um, franchises in, in some way. Like, I think at one point a kid is like trying to, one of the campers is trying to scare Angela. So he literally tries to look like this fucking family dollar Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And she fucking, she fucking tries to kill somebody with a chainsaw. Like um, they even Angela's fishing with some boys and uh, she asks them like, uh, Hey, uh, what's, what's today's date? Like, Oh, it's Saturday the 14th. You know, just stupid shit like that. Like, Like, you're just like, this movie knows exactly what it's trying to be. And, you can't help but laugh and have fun with it. Like you can't take it seriously. It's it's just ridiculous from start to finish. That's great. I yeah. Now I want to watch them even more. That's that's fantastic. I love you know starting franchises on this podcast is great because I just know the endless plethora of potential episodes where I get to just dive into all this shit. It's gonna be great. Um, Jonathan Tiersten plays Ricky, her brother. Um, he's done a lot of B list stuff, but he did. Come back to play Ricky again in Return to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, he's great. Uh, this kid who just doesn't take any shit from anybody, just picking fights with anyone who dares disrespect his cousin. I love this kid. Oh yeah, no, he's the best. Like he's got he's got some of the uh, some of the best lines. And I think one of my one of my favorite moments for him is when the uh, the boys are on the roof and they hit Angelo with a water balloon. And he comes over and he's like, you cocksuckers. I'm just like, holy shit. This fucking guy is not playing. Like he does not give a fuck. He will go after you. No fucks given. I was like, yes, that is what I'm talking about. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to see, you know, the traditionally, you know, the bullies are going to just pick on these kids. But in this movie, this kid's like, fuck you the whole time. Just, you know, p- jumping on these assholes. It's, it's fantastic. It's there's something just satisfying and cathartic about it to just watch this tiny kid try to fuck up these jocks. Yeah, no, I love it. And that's, I, I think that's one of the, one of the elements of this movie that resonates so like I latched onto so much because I was picked on a lot. I mean, I'm sure a lot of kids that, you know, watched horror movies and grew up to be nerds like us have very similar stories like that, you know, getting picked on, getting in fights and getting ganged up on and all that shit. So Moments like this are very enjoyable for me because you kind of get out a lot of that aggression, all those, all those fantasies you have in your head of like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck you up one day, I promise you. Like, and I never really fought back against anybody until I was just as big, if not bigger, than the people who were fucking with me when I was a little, littler. So, even by that time, I was still like, still felt small on the inside. So it was very enjoyable watching watching those shitheads get their comeuppance i bet yeah and i mean 
the first time you saw this, did you did you know about the twist? Uh, no. So in Sleepaway Camp 3, that part isn't really um, thrown out. Like, you don't really know about it. And even when even when Sleepaway Camp 2 starts, that's like Angelo's an urban legend at that point because it takes place five years later. And it's like, you know, they're all telling the story. This kid's telling a story about, oh, you know, this camp, this girl, crazy and killed people. Oh, except she wasn't really a girl. She was a boy. And like, she's just an urban legend at that point. So it was, it was never, it was never like, this is what happened. And then I, by the time I saw the first one, I was, I was still just like, holy shit. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard for a movie like Sleepaway Camp, which has such a what the fuck ending to not have that spoiled for you. True. Because almost everybody that, that brings it up, that's what they talk about. Yeah. That's what the, that's the moment they talk about. They don't talk about, you know, all of the other kills that happened, which are fucking awesome. They don't talk about any of that stuff. They don't talk about the, the ridiculousness that is like fucking Mel trying to cover everything up the entire time because he's just worried about losing his fucking business. He doesn't care that people are actually dying. He's just like, I'm going to be ruined. Nobody's going to want to come to this camp anymore. And fucking walk around chewing on a cigar and shit, <laughs> you know, and he's trying to get his damn dick wet at some point. He's just like, that's all he cares about. And you're just like, dude, people are fucking dying all around you. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what was, why was Meg so into Mel? Like, why was she, like, what did she get out of this? She's a camp counselor. What could he possibly offer her? Probably let her sleep in his cabin or a pay raise or, you know, you don't have to do dirty work. Like, I'm sure there's all manner of favors that were going around in that camp for one reason or another. I mean, come on. You had that fucking one counselor. I'm trying to remember his damn name. Fucking Muscles McGee. Fucking <laughs> who's fucking. I'm surprised that guy's dick and balls did not fall out of his shorts. Like, come on. Like, that is okay. Out of all the things, like, as a kid growing up in the 80s, that always terrified me. Like, and this probably says a lot more about my my fucking thought process. It's like you see a bunch of dudes wearing short shorts like that, and they're like, "Man, I don't want to see that dude's balls." Like, don't, don't, because it's just it's. I don't know. I don't know. It it just feels like a an accident waiting to happen, and I just ah, God, it's, it's traumatizing. Okay, it's traumatizing. With the, the amount of roids going into those muscles, I don't think those balls are going to be big enough to pop out. No, no danger. No danger. <laughs> oh, it is funny, though. All the counselors are, like, jacked as fuck. It's yeah, fucking wearing these fucking midriff-bearing shirts. Like, who the fuck does that? Like, come on. Like, ah, uh, the clothing alone is cringeworthy and just laughable the entire time and the mullets only get better like here it, they're almost like because it's it's supposed to take place somewhere in new york but by the time the second one rolls around you've got like full-on fucking business up front party in the back like perm perma mullet shit it's fuck woof 
man, my favorite mullet in the whole series is the counselor in part two TC man. When you fucking see that you are, I'm straight up like helmet hair. Like it's perfect. <laughs> fucking immaculate. Yeah. It's gotta be something special to have, like to, you know, shout it out try to remember the mullet. That's gotta be something. <laughs> You'll see. You'll see. <laughs> um, Karen Fields plays Judy, uh, though it does have an odd spelling. She spells it C-U-N-T, which you don't usually see, but this bitch earned it. Uh, this is the only thing she's ever done, but goddamn, does she stand out as just one of the worst human beings I've maybe ever seen in a movie. Just no provocation, just I hate her, and I'm going to make her life miserable. And for some reason, Meg helps her. Like There's just this hatred of the quiet girl which is so mean. And I get that. I was the quiet guy. I've always been kind of a quiet person. And I hate when people are just, you know, kind of, you know, bullied and made to stand out just because they're quiet. There's nothing wrong with being quiet. Just let people be themselves. Uh, Oh yeah, no, totally. That, trust me, it, that is another facet of Angela's character. That's like, yep, that was me. Yep. That was me. People look at you because you're quiet and you're not saying anything. You're not laughing at their jokes. Like something's wrong with you. Like, no, actually, maybe there's something wrong with you that you have to feel the need to do whatever it takes to fit in with a bunch of strangers that you're never going to see again, probably for the rest of your life. But you feel it's necessary to whore yourself out and compromise yourself in any way necessary just to make some friends for a couple of weeks. Fuck off. I've always had people, you know, I've had people ask me, like, why are you so quiet? which I think is a rude question. You know, nobody ever asks, you know, loud people, like, why do you talk so much? Like, just- I have. <laughs> you're, you're a bigger man than me. <laughs> I just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I found myself relating to Angela quite a bit. Just, you know, I didn't want, I didn't like summer camp either. I didn't want to go to summer camp. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to deal with people. I just want to sit there quietly, read, do my thing. But people just got to get in your face. I, yeah. They keep I hated this. I hated Judy. Pushing and keep pushing until you fucking snap. And then you just got to push back. Yeah. You got to, you got to just, you know, dunk a pedophile in a giant pot of boiling water. You just got to, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Oh, oh, fuck that guy. He got off like creepiest motherfucker ever from the get go. Just being like, oh yeah, look at all that young meat. Like, what the fuck? <sighs> but then his buddies being like, oh come on now, you say that every year. Like, the fuck? <laughs> Nobody's doing just, anything about this guy. It's just boys being boys. Oh, <laughs> fuck off. So that's okay. So that's something about this movie that is very intentional. Like this movie is was made to like push the envelope that is um it's robert hiltzik's words exactly he wanted to push people's buttons he wanted to shock them it was intentional that he wanted to take this movie as far as he could and be as cringeworthy as he could um even though he said it i'm i'm still wondering who they were using for the stand-in because that scene in the uh in the walk-in where fucking Artie is walking up on Angela when they're in there. Like he's saying that she was not actually in the shots that it, that it was just the camera closing in on her to simulate Artie's point of view. 
and then where the camera is sitting when you see the reverse of Artie walking up. But clearly you see a person in the frame, but it, but that's not Felissa Rose. And I'm just like, oh, I fucking hope not, man. I fucking hope not. Because it's just, I, I, I don't know that I could have done that as an actor. I don't know that I could have done that walking on a kid and like unbuckling my belt and like, you want some of this? Fuck you, man. Like it's, that's just too much. So I'm, I'm taking his word that he did that. Um, but this movie, even like it starts out really, really strange. And cause just the, I, I don't know if it's like the way that it was, um, the way it was shot because it just has like this dreamy kind of quality to it in the beginning and it's really like it's really soft with the lighting in there it's you know like it's meant to kind of evoke some kind of like memory or something even though i'm i'm thinking it was actually like taking place at the moment but yeah so i don't know like how you want to how you want to tackle this from the beginning because even from the beginning like there's some real signs that there is there's something wrong going on in in Angela's life. Yeah, well, you know, they deliberately hide the fact that they they hide which kid dies at the beginning. They, you know, make you think like Angela's a girl. Aunt Martha's whole deal is so disturbing. The whole like she's like a goddamn cartoon character. How vibrant and wild, and she narrates everything she talks like she does. It's 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 over the top, but I get it. She's supposed to be this weird flamboyant character who wanted a daughter, so she just says like, "You are a you are my daughter now." Like that's gonna fuck up anybody to have your like to have your gender chosen for you is wrong. And I like how this movie kind of pulls you in that direction, you know? Yeah. So the actress that played uh, Aunt Martha Desiree Gould. She was a theater performer. That's where her background was. So the fact that she is the way she is on screen, I think when you have that in your head, it makes a lot more sense that she is acting the way she is. Also, she didn't really want to do this. Um, Robert um, Hiltzman, like after or Hiltzik, after she read for it, she was like, I don't think I'm right. I don't think I want to do this. He was like, he more or less said like, no, this was written for you. I want you to do this. And that's what we got. And, and, and it's really weird. So like in the beginning, when you first watch this, your, your first watch through, like some of the, some of the stuff she says is kind of just, you're like, that was weird. You know, like when she hands them her hands them the physicals and she's like, now don't tell anybody where you got them even though I am a doctor and you're just like, what? Like, huh? What is wrong with this lady? It's just just so very strange. And she just, wasn't that nice of me? I packed you some snacks for the bus ride. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you lady? Like you're really like hamming it up here. Yeah. You're really like wanting a pat on the back right now and you don't want to do it yourself, but you are really doing it yourself. And that, that for me, just like set this uneasy tone. You're just like, what is, man, these kids need to go to summer camp. They don't need to be around this fucking wacko. And then fucking summer camp slaps them in the face. 
and they're just kind of just left to their own devices, which is kind of a theme for most of these movies is that the count, the counselors don't really do much. Like the adults in these movies are either the enemy or they're fucking like the non-existent parents that you only, you only see, you don't hear them. They don't do anything. They're just, they're just fucking there. <laughs> Damn. You know what? The, it makes sense that she was a theater actress that I can see that I can, you know, I can feel that kind of the way she talks, the way she kind of carries herself. It very much has like a Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard kind of vibe to it. So yeah, I, I get that theater actress makes total sense. A um, couple more cast members to spotlight. We got Christopher Colet as Paul, the guy who's in love with Angela and is really kind of a bastard. Uh, he voiced characters in 640 episodes of Pokemon and a lot of uh, Yu-Gi-Oh as well. So he's a big voice actor now, which is pretty cool. Um, Mike Kellen plays Mel, the camp's owner. He also appeared in such films as Midnight Express, The Jazz Singer, and God Told Me To before dying of lung cancer at 61 years old right after filming Sleepaway Camp. Uh, and he is just a very odd character. Just not only is he like, we got to cover up all this murder, but he's also like, I know exactly who it is with no evidence and I'm going to take care of this. <laughs> and that is wild. Just him beating a child to yeah. death in the woods <laughs> with his bare hands and then just walking away thinking he finished the job. <laughs> Holy shit, man. <laughs> Fucking outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> and again, very shocking and quite intentional. Yeah. Well, I love how randomly, like, in, out in the open, he's, like, grabbing Ricky and being like, it was you, huh? He's like, you could ruin me. And Ricky's just like, fuck off, the old dude. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that whole little subplot had me kind of laughing and a little afraid at the same time. <laughs> um, and then finally, Catherine Cammy plays Meg, the bitchy counselor. She's done a bit of TV over the years, a lot of bit parts, uh, nothing all that substantial. Uh, well, you know. And she's good in this. She's just incredibly unlikable, as is most of the characters. Uh, Sleepaway Camp has an IMDb score of 6.3, Rotten Tomatoes score of 77%, which I was like, damn, well done. It was a huge hit, grossing $11 million on a budget of only $350,000. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's how you do it. <laughs> It spawned four sequels and a remake is in possible early development has been for years. Uh, nothing concrete though. Uh, so let's discuss some highlights. Uh, there's a whole bunch. Uh, Artie, the pedophile chef, his comeuppance is fucking spectacular. Just giant three foot pot of boiling water dumped on this dude. Uh, the corn water. And just watching him kind of, you know, ah, writhing in boiling pain was pretty satisfying i think we should do that to every pedophile okay so um before we recorded i told you i was talking to a friend of mine and i actually made a comment that he got off uh rather light with just being boiled alive i would have i would not have minded if that scene was punctuated by him getting a hot corn cob shoved up his ass um just because Fuck that guy. Like, fuck that guy. Um, fun fact, the uh, the effect for the fucking 
bubbles of skin on his face. They literally had tubes running behind his head. And uh, there was like spots of like smoke that were coming through. And they were literally like just squeezing little bladders to like make them fucking pulsate and shit. That was, that was good. That was a good effect. Oh yeah. 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 Real, real good. My only issue with that, with the corn cob thing, he had not yet gotten to boil the corn. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Well, look. Either way, room temperature corn, hot corn, frozen corn. I don't care. It sh- he sh- he should have. He should have. Yeah. But look, that's just those those guys. Those guys have a special place in hell reserved for them, yeah. and prison. They're mm-hmm. usually the first one to go. They they don't last very long in there. No, they do not. Uh, I thought it was uh he lived, didn't he? Artie. Like, I mean, he maybe not for long, but it's implied that he made it. Well, I think he, I think he was, I think he was alive when they took him out, but I'm, and, and I, and I don't remember them saying much else about him. What I did think was funny was how Mel walked up to the fucking cooks afterwards and was like, Hey, how about an extra four bucks a week guys? Yeah. Yeah. You like that? You like that? And then he pulled over the other dude and he's like, look, Make sure those guys don't talk about anything that's happened here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you ain't gonna worry about those guys. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, they only want their money. They don't care about that fucking asshole. They probably didn't like him anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's heavily implied they know that he likes to diddle kids. So I think they're good at keeping secrets. Well, I don't think Artie was good about keeping secrets. He was like, if he could have been a cartoon character, he would have been like the hungry wolf that his fucking tongue fell out of his face when he <laughs> saw Angela in there. You know, just like that's the. <laughs> That's how much he was not trying to hide what he was and made and made death all the more satisfying. I do love in that scene with with the walk in as disturbing as that is. I do love Ricky just being like, the fuck's going on here and stops that shit. But then Artie's like, you didn't see nothing, huh? Like he's like a 30s gangster. Like it just like he's going to, you know, like these two kids aren't going to immediately go say like, hey, Artie tried to. She tried some shit with my cousin. They don't, I guess, because he just vanishes, you know, as far as they know. <laughs> it's just so weird to start with pedophile chef who's so open about it. I mean, there you you can either only go, there's two ways this movie can go after that. It can go really bad and like not in a good way, or it can just get better from there. And I think it I think that that moment kind of sets the tone. For the rest of this movie you just you know shit's gonna happen and it's it's not gonna be pretty yeah and it some of it's not really even gonna make sense but that's okay because you're just you're, you're along for the ride at this point because i mean one of the other deaths that has become a favorite for for most people for some people is the uh the scene in the in the fucking bathroom that dude's in there taking a shit and the bee and angela puts the beehive in there you know and like the, the aftermath is immediate, you know, like you see them just like burrowing holes all in them. And you're just like, okay, realistically, that's not going to happen, I, but I don't give a shit. If I see somebody get killed by bees, damn it. I want them to look like that. So <laughs> I will accept it. That freaked me out so much. I have a, like a severe phobia of like holes on flesh. <laughs> so that, that did not sit right with me. I was not expecting that from bee stings. Damn it. God, 
well, you know, there are certain kinds of bees that are, uh, that can drill or dig into wood, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I've, 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 I've heard them referred to as carpenter bees. And, uh, my dad actually had one try to, uh, burrow inside his arm one time. Uh, fuck it. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he was not happy about it. He was not happy about it. Uh, no, no. Uh, I'm getting like, I, I got the pins and needles feeling all over my fucking body right now. I hate that shit. Sweet dreams tonight, Connor. God damn. <laughs> oh, um, one of my favorite scenes changing gears very rapidly here one of my favorite scenes was the baseball game with um ricky and his and his friends and then like the 20 year old jocks who were also at this camp and they are so angry like so ridiculously angry about everything and that one guy yells at them like eat shit and die and that one kid just goes eat shit and live bill yeah that was ricky that was ricky ricky clapping right back real quick you shouldn't live. I don't know why that was so funny. It's it's <laughs> funny because it's just like, no, no, I don't want you to die. I want you to live with the memory that you just ate shit. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like in uh, Happy Gilmore where fucking Shooter McGavers like, I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast, and is like unconvincing. No, <laughs> just flipping Great. around on. Them. They don't know what the fucking do. They're like, what? Great movie. But that like those kids are so like how does how does a bunch of like 20 year olds lose to some like 12 year olds at a baseball game and then just be it's like fuck like so aggressively angry about it. It's just it was so <laughs> weird and funny. Yeah, that I, I also felt like that scene went on for way too long. Yeah, I agree. But I think it's I think it's also trying to uh act as a buffer between some of the later stuff too. So I can, I can, I can forgive its length at that point. I was laughing my ass off when they pulled the shaving cream gag on that kid Mozart and he straight up fucking pulled a knife on them. (laughs) Like damn overreaction kid. Relax. Well, well, to be, to be fair and, and to give Mozart a little credit here, they did also make him face plant into some kids, butt cheeks earlier. Okay, maybe, yeah, you're right. This might be just like the last straw in a big series of pranks. <laughs> you just fucking had too much. It's like, fuck it, I've had enough. And I love, I love, I love the fact that that counselor comes in. He's like, oh, oh, Mozart, I got you with that mind over matter, huh? Like, okay, so these fucking guys play a lot of butt games. It's just who can look at a butt, who can stick their face in their butt who can touch my butt. Like, come on, guys. You got all this space to play pranks with each other. You got to find other things to play with in each other's butts. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, ridiculous. Yeah, boys will be boys. Ah. <laughs> um, I love... There's a word in this film I have only ever heard in one other movie, and maybe I'm just not watching enough 80s movies. But the word peckerhead is a work of art that we don't we don't hear that enough. That word has died off and we need to bring it back. I love the word peckerhead. It's such a weird insult. I heard it in the movie Volunteers when I was a kid and I've always thought it was great. And this is the only other time I've heard it. 
What happened to Peckerhead? I couldn't tell you. Um, I think the only other time I've heard a word kind of like that was Peckerwood. Oh, yeah. And that was like, you know, it's kind of like a, an insult to, uh, to Southerners in a way. And Peckerhead, don't hear it too much. Um, it's, it's one of those words where it's like, I know what you're trying to say, but you're trying to say something and not get in trouble for saying the thing. Peckerhead yeah. sounds worse than dickhead, frankly. <laughs> like, you call me a dickhead, I'm like, all right. You call me a peckerhead, I'm like, you really don't like me. <laughs> it's just you, you want to curse at me, but not actually use a swear word. I see what you're doing here. You're trying to, you're trying to elevate yourself above me, but insult me at the same time. <laughs> I, won't even, I won't even give you the satisfaction yeah. of calling you a dickhead. I'm going to call you a peckerhead, sir. You know what I say to that? Eat shit and live. <laughs> I'm going to start calling Caleb Peckerhead. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Oh, I will. Oh, I will. <laughs> Man, I dragged out that game on him for so long. Oh, it was so funny. Okay, so if if anybody's been following, um, Caleb called it, called me out, but didn't call me out. He just thought I was going to say something when he brought up sound design talking about trauma movies and i was listening to the episode and i was like yeah i mean makes a good point trauma movies you know call attention to a lot of that stuff because it's made by film nerds so like they're going to intentionally you know if anything exaggerate sound in their movies and in a movie like a quiet place you're gonna have you're gonna have that used in the exact opposite direction and he made a good point. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna get mad at it at all. But, but in true fashion of messing with Caleb, I, I sent him a text. You saw it. I was like, "You're going down." And then, like, just he he immediately came back. He's like, "Dude, buddy, I I didn't mean anything. I wasn't insulting you or trauma. I just I just wanted to make a point. I'm I'm sorry." I was like, what can I do? And I just dragged it on for like two or three days. It was just harassing him. Finally, like I just got to the point where I was like, good day, sir. And he kept, he came, he would come back with something to say, I said, good day, sir. And I just, <laughs> just constantly dragging it out on him. And then finally I told him, I was like, look, man, have I ever actually been mad with you ever? No. And if I have been mad at you, haven't I just been yanking your chain the entire time? You're doing it right now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> so that's that's the kind of friend I am. So if anybody wants to be friends with me, just know I'll keep you on your toes. I remember I tried to facilitate by posting a YouTube link to Wars, Why Can't We Be Friends? <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> I, yeah, it's nice just kind of watching that shit unfold, knowing that it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> And Just, he is actually like he's been fearing your retaliation in this episode. <laughs> Just wait. Just wait till we're all on the on the uh, on the newest show that we're coming out with. That's gonna be great because I am gonna go in hard on him. You're gonna you're you're gonna get to see it live, and it's gonna be great. I just have fun. <laughs> That's gonna be a blast. Oh yeah. Um, I do want to talk about this weird flashback we get with uh. Angela's dad with another man in bed. I believe that's what that was. That's what that was. Yes. 
yes, that was her dad's lover, Lenny. Well, those and, actors clearly did not know how to be gay because they're just standing, they're just like in the bed, kind of like randomly touching each other's arms. <laughs> and that just made me laugh. They're like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to touch you. Yeah, it, it and it felt oddly like intentionally artful in a moment where it's like, do we really need like a dreamy art sequence where, you know, you're supposed to be getting some crucial backstory, um, which when you, when you want to look at it from another perspective, you can, you can definitely see that if Angela Peter would not have lost her dad and her brother or sister always get confused by who dies. Um, she would have had a hard time with her life because if her dad was gay, that was a whole other thing that she was going to have to deal with. So I think, I think no matter what path this, this young person's life would have taken, it would have been met with some kind of controversy that was not of her making or their making. If, if I'm trying to be gender neutral right now, um, everything that happens to this kid is, is like outside of their control and they're still going to have to deal with it after the fact and somehow take the blame for it. But really there's nothing they did at all. And that's, because in a sense, that's one of the saddest things about this character is like she had this thing happen to her dad who is gay and that whole relationship right there would have not been okay back in the 80s. And, and especially depending on where they were living, like if this would have been set in the South, it really wouldn't have been okay. And there would have been a lot more hate towards it. Maybe up in New York, who knows, but yeah, that would not have been okay. And then the the aftermath of that, totally forced, totally forced. And it's and it's sad. It's sad that a character goes through that. But I also think that it was handled well enough that it wasn't it wasn't dwelled upon. Yeah. You know, like you just kind of you just kind of see this and you're just like, oh shit! Like you're so floored by it. It's such a such a jarring revelation that you're just like, it almost, it almost makes sense to you that you're like, well, of course, of course, somebody's going to have a hard time dealing with all of this stuff and have these repressed memories that are going to come flooding out when this terrible moment is, you know, every, everything just leads to this whole explosion of frustration and anger. <clears throat> I just, I feel like we don't need the revelation of the gay father. I feel like all that does is almost give us a an unnecessary explanation for why Angela's like this. Like, see, she had a gay father. Doesn't that explain why she's crazy? And I don't like how that's aged. No, no, that's that's part of that's part of the the movie that doesn't age so well for me, along with a lot of just because I feel like. And, and I don't know how much flack I'm going to get for it, but I don't necessarily think that in, at this point in the, 
in the in the series of movies is Angela actually a transgender character? I think that identity was forced upon her because of somebody else's idea of what they wanted. They didn't give they didn't give her a choice. They didn't ask her how she felt. This was some crazy person saying, I wanted a daughter and you're the closest thing I've that's you know saw saw that person as a piece of clay to mold and you're like there it is now you're going to be my little girl and that's not right that's completely and utterly fucked now does it create a shocking ending when that is part of the reveal yes does that mean that this movie served its purpose to shock and be offensive in a way absolutely um and and even for somebody who knew what the ending was how did that how did that resonate with you how did you feel about that at that point after going through what you went through with the movie um it's i felt that they made her un, unnecessarily crazy with the the hiss and like just kind of standing there like like she's some snake monster. That was too much. I would have liked a little bit of a, you know, she's not a psycho because of what's happened to her. She hates these fucks because they won't leave her alone. I wish they'd taken that angle instead. And it's gone like, I have had enough of people telling me what I am. I think that would have been a, a better revelation. I don't know if the sequel, probably the sequels never go into, some, into that. Uh, I think that, making her stand there and hiss covered in blood, like some kind of like, you know, werewolf creature undermines the character. That's, that's just what I think. But I also agree with you that I don't think she's a traditional transgendered character because her identity is forced upon her. I agree with that. Uh, But, you know, I'm not going to disparage anyone who thinks otherwise, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, especially with a film this divisive. So, you know, we can all kind of just agree to disagree. Well, so I think I think that without like being derogatory and like demeaning anybody's opinions on it, like almost everybody's take on it is valid as long as you are using the film as evidence. There is a there is a practical reason for why um, the ending was filmed the way it was aside from the god awful voice that she has um, <clears throat> the the actor who is actually playing the male half if you will was wearing a mask that was just that frozen expression that Felissa Rose has come to use as her calling card now when she does photo ops at um, horror conventions <laughs> FYI <laughs> She takes she takes pictures with everybody like that, and I would love nothing more than to have a picture like that up on my wall. So, <laughs> here's hoping I can make that happen and cross it off my bucket list. Um, but yeah, that that expression was just it was just one mask. It wasn't anything else, and they essentially just and this is also something that would have never happened um, at any other point, but in like the 70s and 80s with a movie is. The person that they had in there was a college kid um, who essentially like had a similar build to Felissa Rose at the time. And 
just let him sit there and got hammered, put the mask on, dropped his, dropped his, his shorts. And then they just did it. Like afterwards, that person was very upset about what they went through for that movie. Um, and rightfully so. Um, even though nobody saw his face, I'm sure that they were still like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. That's me right there. Um, but Hey, was that, was that the right way to go about it? Probably not. Um, there were some other machinations too. Like they were actually toying with the idea of having Felissa wear a prosthetic mm. and to the point where, where things were crafted. Oh, but, my God. but mom stepped in and said, no, 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 that's not happening. So, Thank God. Oh, so, so good on you. Good on you, mom, for being a good mom and, and doing that. Um, I think, I think one of the biggest words I've used in this has been catharsis. And because a lot of this is very cathartic. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that I can do this justice. Um, this, um, this article I found as I was watching Sleepaway Camp, I kind of wanted to see if there were any, um, any writers that are, were, you know, maybe even trans or in, in the queer community period who have something positive to say about this movie. Um, even though they also point out, or she also points out that, um, this movie does kind of unintentionally position, you know, the, the, the trans threat in a sense, um, which sucks, but even, even in that moment, she, she still makes a good argument. So the, the writer I'm talking about, her name is Harmony Colangelo and the title of her article that she wrote about Sleepaway camp is the transgender defense of Angela Baker and Sleepaway Camp. Um, it's written pretty well. I kind of like it. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was this little piece towards the end where she says, the framing of Sleepaway Camp presents Angela as the villain, but she is no more of a villain than Frankenstein's monster. Angela didn't want to be a monster. She was turned into one by everyone and everything around her. From where I sit, she is the unseen anti-hero doling out cathartic trans justice. She is cursed with a duality because there is no good way to view her as a positive character because she isn't doing good things. At best, there are explanations for why she does what she does, but it will always be a complicated subject. You can blame the bullies and Aunt Martha as the root of Angela's actions, but at the end of the day, she was failed by the system. So a lot of that is what we have been saying in that Angela never had a choice in where she, where she was and what happened to her. A lot of that stuff happened to her. Other people were making choices for her. She was in a roundabout way to, to continue with um, Harmony's analogy. She was assembled in a sense. She was created to be something that she didn't want to be. And she has to constantly battle that. She, there's this internal battle with who she knows she is as Peter, but then outwardly everybody sees Angela. 
And it's this wrestling with this, you know, who am I really that I think, again, this is coming from straight white dude, never had any of these instances in my own life. I'm only going off of what I see and from what I know about other trans people and their stories that they've shared in that you're, you're experiencing this where you, you internally don't see what you see outwardly. And she, she lashes out. She's, she's lashing out at the, at the people in the society that have kind of like are trying to put her in a place where she doesn't want to be. Um, okay. So I can understand part of that defense. I agree that Angela was assembled. She was created, but I don't think that gives her a blanket excuse to commit murder. I think that antihero is too far. I think that she is a villain in that she chooses to murder a lot of people in a grisly way. And that is her decision, her choice to do that. Regardless of circumstance, she chose to kill. She chose to take a life. So I think that that puts her in the villain camp, regardless of how she got there. I mean, I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading somebody else's words and just, um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's kind of a reaction more than a, a premeditation at least in this at least in this instance because with the other movies the like that whole that whole thing is kind of just swept under the rug like the whole internal struggle that she's gone through in this movie is kind of swept under the rug more in favor of okay so this is the character we have this is our main character what can we do with her now and when we when we get to where we talk about the sequels a little bit more i'll i'll kind of talk about that in a way um i just i really i really find it interesting that people can come from a place of personal introspection to find a a piece of art that speaks to them in a certain way and they can they can explain it in a way that we might i mean I definitely don't understand it in that regard because that's not, that's just not my life experience. So I'm, I'm always, I'm always seeking out trying to find different movies from different voices, different places. Um, And I was very interested when I came across this and I really, I really enjoy reading somebody else's perspective on, on things anyway, just because I think it, it allows you to try as best as you can to see something from somebody else's point of view. I agree. Especially without being like derogatory and mean and just, you know. Absolutely. I don't, like I said before, I don't want to disparage anybody's views on this film. It's all valid. It's all subjective. If you feel something for this fantastic, I'm glad you were able to feel something from a piece of art. That's fantastic. In my, you know, in my straight white point of view, it's, you know, murder is, is hard to defend. <laughs> and it's just, I think we need, you know, you gotta, you do have to take into account what she's been through, what she has been forced to do, but also 
I mean, she, she dunked a man into boiling water. She drowned a guy. She threw a bee's nest in with another dude. She carved a woman's back like up. She did whatever the fuck with the hair, with the, uh, what are those called? The hair curling iron, curling iron. Yeah. Whatever. She oh, did yeah. To Judy. That's kind of unclear. She just, I don't know what the hell she did to Judy. I'm, I'm pretty sure there was some sticking it to her going on. Oh yeah. And then she did whatever the hell to Paul. So there's a lot of bodies in her wake. I mean, regardless of those people's actions, like that's, that's a really tough thing to swallow, you know? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any, I, I don't know that you can really explain away a lot of what she does because it is a very extreme reaction to, to anything. Um, yeah. Another point that, that Harmony brought out is that this movie does kind of have very, very tangential, I'll say, um, similarities to like rape revenge movies in that you know, something really bad happens to a character at the very beginning of the story. And then the rest of it is just them taking it out on those people or whatever that's done them wrong. It's not like I spit on your grave. It's not that it's not that explicit because you don't find out any of that until, you know, almost two thirds of the way through the movie. What really happened to Angela? But I can I can kind of see that point to a certain degree. Is it is it directly like beat for beat how those types of movies are structured? No, but in what makes it different than other slashers, you know, even Friday the 13th or nightmare on Elm street or Halloween, you know, it's like Angela is somewhat of a victim, but also like you are, you're rooting for her. You want her to do this. You are like cheering her on. Even though you're also like, oh shit, like, am I really, am I really getting excited? She just shoved that curling iron where I think she shoved it, you know. Like, I, I mean, Mel's an asshole, but did he really deserve an arrow in the neck? Like, hmm. and I know Paul was just thinking with his dick, but he did also try to give you a nice little kiss. He was trying to be nice to you, and what did he get? He got decapitated. So. It's it's one of those it's one of those movies where I think like like you find yourself like rooting for the bad guy, but you're also like, well, why am I rooting for this person right now? Why? But I still enjoy it. For 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 all the good and bad that this brings up, I enjoy it. I love it. Yeah, I had a good time here. Uh, and Paul, I I don't see any sympathy towards that guy because he was just doing whatever he could to whoever would you know kiss him like all he cared about was just getting laid he didn't care who it was so i don't have any sympathy for him do i think he deserved to be decapitated no but you know fuck him <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's hard to really you know i'm firmly down the middle here it's hard to step on either you know in either camp here is angela a bad a bad guy is angela an anti-hero is an, is it justified i'm back and forth constantly on that i don't know Um, here are some filmgasm facts number one Felissa Rose, Karen Fields and Catherine Cammie were actually all quite close during filming 
Catherine Cammy said the scene where they throw Angela into the water was hard for her to shoot for that reason. They all became friends and they were like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. That's mean. That's funny. Uh, they did a great job because I believe that that animosity. <laughs> oh, yeah. Two. Oh, yeah. You can feel it. <laughs> the climactic scene was accomplished using a nude man wearing a mask cast from Felissa Rose's face. The thin man who stood in for Angela was a college student who needed to get drunk before he was able to do the scene. And the final product is pretty horrifying. I mean, I don't, it just looks inhuman. The, the mouth yeah. is too big. It looks like a fucking alien. <laughs> I, that, that's going to stay with me. I, I was not expecting to get scared here, but that was like, oh God, that's not human. That's not right. That was some uncanny valley shit. I didn't like that. Yeah, it's, it, it fucking, it's like, it's an exclamation point. Like if, yes. if ever a movie had an exclamation point, as an ending that's it because you're just like holy shit what the fuck and even the characters like the character reactions you see like they're just mortified mortified that they just found this girl just sitting there on the fucking beach naked covered in blood with a fucking kid's head in her fucking lap and you're just like oh shit this is not who we thought it was (laughs) oh no wild so the sequels there's four sequels we've got 1988's sleepaway camp 2 unhappy campers 1989's sleepaway camp 3 teenage wasteland 1992's sleepaway camp 4 the survivor which just ran out of money and was never finished and then 2008's return to sleepaway camp um i haven't seen any of these but i know you have so take it away okay so sleepaway camp 2 and I, I hope we can dig a little bit deeper into this one day, but basically to give you a little, a little synopsis, Angela is back five years later at another camp that is just about an hour away from where she terrorized Camp Arawak. Um, she is actually a counselor this time, <laughs> and she is played in this one and part three by Bruce Springsteen's sister, Pamela, <laughs> and she is a fucking delight in this movie like i i'm just like okay do yourself a favor look up the happy camper scene and you will see what i'm talking about like she can be jolly and she can portray fucking just gleeful evil and on a dime it's it's amazing um like i said this movie is very uh self-referential it very much knows what it's doing and who it's jabbing fun at it's a hoot fucking hoot and this is probably my favorite one because like the cat's out of the bag at this point you know like you know angela's the killer and you're just along for the ride at that point you're you're wondering like who she's who she's going to kill how she's going to do it and she does not disappoint um i will and in my review that i wrote for sleepaway camp 2 i will use a joe bob descriptor as uh to talk about my favorite kill scene and that is outhouse foo so just uh just just remember that um and she even she even kills that person with puns like just so good so good um and it's it's just a hoot like i said it's got my all-time favorite mullet in there uh, (laughs) from tc and (laughs) 
after every camper she kills, she tells the, uh, the, uh, the director, Uncle John, that she's uh, sending them home because she <laughs> caught them breaking the rules, so she sent them home. <laughs> and that's how that goes. Um, Sleepaway Camp 3 takes place a year after that uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 and it was released a year later so go them for being accurate and this time angela sneaks in as a camper once again and she's at a camp where they're taking uh essentially rich kids to be with poor kids and or juvenile delinquents in the hopes of maybe they'll learn something from each other <laughs> and they can go out and do team building exercises and all this other bullshit. And obviously it doesn't work. Um, Angela finds something wrong with everybody there. Um, <laughs> has one of my favorite openings to a movie ever where she fucking mows down this girl with a garbage truck and throws her in the back and crushes her. Um, and then she takes this girl's clothes, fucking gets on the van to ride out. And as the van drives off screen the camera stays and she is spray painted on the wall angela is back so like again this movie knows what it is and it's just fucking you know it it doesn't try to pretend to be anything else um there's some really good kills in there so there are some really good kills in it i really enjoyed it it's not it's not my favorite um it is it has its moments where you're just like oh god like they're they're just not um there's not really relishing in what they're doing but there are some really good kills that kind of make it worthwhile um again they've managed to find a couple of characters that you're just like okay i really want you to kill this person um <clears throat> namely the the owners of this quote unquote camp, which really all they did was go back to the camp from the year previous and just have them like camping out in tents around the property. Like they're not even like trying to rebuild the place and literally are just like using the land. Um, and this lady, cause she's trying to do it on the cheap. And, you know, she's like, nobody's going to come here if they think that people got murdered here the year before. And because Angela's like asked her at one point, you know, like, did they, did they find those bodies out that, uh, that cabin that's out there over there? She's like, how'd you know about that? You know, and you're just like, hmm, I wonder how she knew about that. Um, the one drag I will say is that the entire movie, Pamela Springsteen is wearing a terrible wig the entire time. And you're just like, God damn it. Like, I thought the thing was going to jump up and fly away at one point. It's that bad. Um, but, I mean, she uses a lawnmower at one point. You can't, you can't, you can't go wrong with that. Um, she hoists somebody up on a flagpole and then drops them, lets their head squish like a grape. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, um, she, uh, there's some like really for any slasher, you're watching it for the kills. And in, in that regard, it doesn't really disappoint as far as that goes. So, you know, kudos to it for that. I only watched Return to Sleepaway Camp once and I don't remember too much about it. I want to find it again just so I can watch it because, I mean, Felissa Rose is in it. So, you know, got to be able to check it out and, and see 
what they did with it. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I don't I don't know what you could do with that movie now to if you remade it or tried to reboot it or do anything because with the subject matter of the original one, I don't know how that's going to fly and get made. I think a lot of people are just going to condemn it before it even gets off the ground. Yeah. And if you were going to do it, you would, you would have to find another angle. You would have to find another way to tell that story um, or just find a completely different story to tell. I agree. It's uh, I'm interested in sleep like camp four because they did, they released it as like bonus footage on one of the other movies because they have like, it's half a movie completed and the rest, they just like compiled it together with deleted scenes and outtakes and behind the scenes shit because they ran out of money and were just like, fuck it. And I've never heard of that happening and then still releasing a film kind of. Yeah, so that came with a box set when they released all three um, in a box set together. They had parts of Sleepaway Camp 4 in there. It's just like a special feature. Like, you know, they could never get it made. So here's a little extra for you. Um, I've never seen it personally. I would actually kind of like to see it. Um, even if it is mostly raw footage, from what I understand, it's not very polished. I would still be interested to see kind of what they were doing with it. Um, but again, even in the second one in 1988, they really don't lean in on Angela's sex or gender or anything. It's glossed over right at the beginning where um, one of the male uh, campers basically says that, she got taken to a mental hospital. She her she had um, gender reassignment surgery, and then of course inevitably escaped. Um, so that was really all they said about it, and that you know she's now she's actually a woman and and all that stuff. But they don't really they don't really play up play on that at all after after the first one, and. I think that might have been the writers, the writer of the the part two and part three, wanting to distance themselves from that because I don't know I don't know how you could continue that story arc and have something there. I just I just feel like you're creating unnecessary uh, controversy where there doesn't need to be any. I mean, films can be controversial and make you think, but not like that. I don't think that would have been a worthwhile place to go. And I, I don't think that, that these movies would have lasted as long as they have if they would have continued to go down that road. Um, I'm very thankful for this movie because, like, like I said, it's probably one of, you know, one of my favorite movies. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy that you enjoyed it. I'm I'm very happy that this movie is embraced by a lot of people um, because for for good and for bad, you know these these things exist, and I don't think they should be dismissed. 
so easily, especially looking back. I, I really don't like revisionist takes on lots of things because you're, you're completely removing the context in which they were made. Yeah. And I don't think that helps. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, these films exist this way for a reason. They were landmarks at the time. They're still, you know, people look back on this as a significant moment in horror because of its, its twist, regardless of how you feel about it. And a remake would take away from that. You know, any kind of re-edit would take away from that. It is what it is. And that's why we're talking about it today. Um, I give Sleepaway Camp an eight. It's a solid slasher with an interesting story, great characters, and I found it oddly funny at times too. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a solid, it's a solid eight for me as well. It's it's a lot of fun. It's one of those movies that when you when you want to watch a movie that's going to get everybody talking and it's and it's something that you can enjoy and just have fun with, not take it too seriously, this is one of those movies. It's it's always going to be fun. Even after you know what the punchline is to this movie, it's still fun because you start to see other things about it. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. And it just gets you there. Um, I will also give an honorable mention to The Burning. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That is another, uh, another camp movie that is also quite awesome. And also... It has a young Jason Alexander and Fisher Stevens in it. Ah, interesting. <laughs> and special effects by Tom Savini. So there you oh, go. Sold. I'll check that out. It's nice. <laughs> At the very least, I'm going to be adding Eat Shit and Live to my insult repertoire. So thanks for that. Uh, Sleepaway Camp is available to stream on Shudder at the moment if you, uh, if you have that service. Yeah, try and find... Try and find that shit on Blu-ray. Uh, Shout Factory had it. Um, I know that Sleepaway Camp 2 is out of print from them. However, if you are very um, very much an avid collector like I am, um, I have Sleepaway Camp 2 on DVD, but I want it on Blu-ray, and I'm going to have to go all the way to jolly old England to get it from 88 Films. They um, have their slasher collection, and they have two and three. So once I can get some fun money, I am going to order it from them and uh, put them up on my, uh, on my, well, they're, they're in a stack in my entertainment center at the moment. Uh, I still have to invest in a larger bookshelf so I can start proudly displaying my movies. 88 films is really great because they package a lot of their slashers in red cases. Ah, so there you go. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Next week, uh, we're going to stay in 1983, uh, going back to David Cronenberg with his 1983 horror sci-fi flick Videodrome, which sees James Woods attempt to track the source of a bizarre TV signal that is manipulating people's reality. In the process, he discovers a government project to brainwash would-be assassins in one of Cronenberg's most famous and freakish projects. Don't miss that next Wednesday as well as the Defiant Ones on Oscar Sunday and In the Heights on Monday's sneak preview. Until then, don't force your children to grow up as the gender that you want them to be and keep watching movies. (laughs) 